Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of the Mastering Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Today's guest I'm super excited to interview is Bibi Afiri, and she is the owner of Blue Ocean Equity and has written a couple books about being an entrepreneur, about real estate, and we're going to learn all about that today. So, Bibi, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Corey. Yeah. Bibi, why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of background on you, introduce yourself to the listeners, and we'll start from there. Okay. Um, my name is Bibi Ofiri. I'm originally from Nigeria, from a family of five. Um, my parents um, are missionaries. And because they're missionaries, they had to move to different countries at different points in our life. They moved to the U.S. when I was eight. Um, and for missionary work and all that. So we practically grew on our own um, because they wanted to bring us down to the U.S. at that point, but we it took so much time and we we were above the age that um, you could bring your, your child down and all that. So that was not achievable with them. Um, they lived almost, they lived, um, before my dad passed um, some years ago, um, he lived here for 20 something years or 20 years. Uh, and all that so but we were on our own and because of that the moment my dad died because we had a very comfortable life the moment he died I decided to start up my business and then I was still in college um, I was studying project management technology and that was what transformed me I said I wasn't going to work for anybody I was going to start up a job but what was I going to do I had no clue um, the only thing I knew how to do was to start up a cleaning company. And the reason why I started that at that time was because um, I was always awarded in college then, the best, the neatest person in, 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 yes, I was always awarded that. And so I said, okay, let me monitor, let me make this thing into business or into money and all that. So I, I started up with the cleaning business and I actually did I, I ventured into a competition with the federal government of my country. And the, the competition was for you to introduce your business plan. And they wanted to see it in, in a bigger perspective. And since I just recently started my business, I decided to use that as my business plan. And the good thing was I won 10 million um, Naira in my, in my country's currency. So that was the starting of my business. That was what I used to to, to start up my business in my country. Um, then after a while, I did it for a few years and the market became so porous. I said I needed to diversify or expand. So I partnered with someone that was into property management company because as a cleaning company in my country, we're always involved from the beginning of a construction job um, because there's this thing we call post-construction cleaning. They always put cleaners on ground to do the post-construction cleaning at that point. So I was exposed to architects, engineers, and developers. And so I decided that was how I fell in love with um, the real estate. So I said, oh, okay, I could achieve more from this and it looks more promising than what I'm doing. And so I decided to partner with someone that had the experience. Um, so we, we, we were able to build um, the business at that point. I had um, mixed um, properties where we had um, 
both commercial and residential. We also had strictly residential banks, schools, um, estates. We're managing group of um, multi-families and all that. So I was doing that and I thought everything was fine. Things, was, things were going on well until I decided to come to the US to give back to my, to my child. And I, I thought it was just going to be going and come out because the, med, the health system of my country is not where it's supposed to be. So I said, okay, I needed better health. So I came in to, to do that. And the plan was after the delivery, I was going to leave in three weeks. But I didn't know that my life was going to take a change. And when I came in here and my, my daughter, uh, my mom was going through a foreclosure. She had about four houses. She has lost three. And I didn't know how to help her because I didn't understand the US system of real estate. Um, so in between all that, she was about losing our, um, our last house and we didn't know until I came down. So I was in between delivery and going through a foreclosure and all that. So, so when I came, so when it was time for me to deliver, I went to the hospital and my daughter was ill. She had 50-50 chances of leaving. So, I was, so that took a toll and a turn to my life. I couldn't go back. She was in the hospital for months and all that. And so I was shuttling between the hospital and my mom's house because we we're packing up because the sheriff had already served us. We had, we had 30 days to leave. So everything was just like the old world was. And giving birth in the U.S. is quite expensive for foreigners you, you you bring in a lot of money so i virtually brought like my save a lot of money and all that to to do that so I, the, the plan was for me to go back and continue what i was doing but i didn't have money and all that i couldn't take her down she was fragile and that was it that's how i found myself in the u.s so i <laughs> my business i left with my partner and that was how my life started um so in that process of starting up, I was lost because I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't plan for this. It was not something I planned for. So I had to like, first of all, bring back my mindset. My mind was off. I, I was going through depression or not just depression. I was going through something that I wasn't expecting. And besides that, my mom was also depressed because she had, my dad left for properties for her. And because she was not into all that, she lost them. So she could not just phantom the old um, circumstances that were surrounding her and all that. So I was taking care of her and taking care of my two kids. Everything was just impossible. The first thing I did was I decided to pick up a mania job because I didn't have the proper documentations to, to get it. I was a graduate, but you know, you have to start afresh. So I started with all the mania jobs, everything you can think of that you can't do. I did everything. Name it. I'll tell you, yes, I did it. You know, I worked in warehouse carrying carrying things. I worked in the kitchen. I worked as a dishwasher. I worked in, in, um, in homes, cleaning toilets, taking care of um, sick people. I did everything, you know, all to just... But at some, at some point in my life, I said, no, this is not me. I can't keep doing this, you know and all that. So I said, okay, one of the ways to make money in the US is to go to school. I thought I was away from me. So I'd forgotten that I was doing something in my country. So I decided to afford, I went, I, I did a master's, I started my master's in um, information system um, with a degree in cyber security. Um, so I was doing very good. I was always going, going in one year, 
one year and six months down that I was I was doing all those minor jobs to pay my school because they had to pay out of pocket. I was paying that money and I didn't I basically stripped myself from anything fun, anything at no excess, no luxury, nothing. I didn't even tell you where we moved to. We we're almost homeless at that point. So we moved to a church. We stayed in a church that had no bathroom. It only had um toilet. So we we had our baths in a bowl for for months, you know, before we were able to raise money to create a bathroom and all that. So that was a pretty difficult time. We were there for a year plus till things started becoming good. So I was going to school and the school, I was doing it offline, sorry, online. And it was in um, my car because I picked up a security job as a guard. Um, so I was doing all that in the car. So all through that period was all in the car and I was still making my grades, but Fortunately for me, I met a friend that was into the same business that I was, that had the ability to do more, but he didn't, he wasn't doing more with his life. And I didn't understand why. So he spoke to me that I wanted to go collect his W2 from a company that he had worked with previously. So I said, I'm looking for a job. Can I go with you? So if I see some opening, I can apply. And he said, okay, fine, come along with me. And I didn't know that was another turning point in my life. So I got to that place and the, the the person didn't have a secretary. So we had to wait. He was the one attending to people. So for some reasons, I had to ask him, I'm oh, sorry, is there nobody that's supposed to be seated there and all that? I was just curious about the whole thing. And he said, my secretary just uh, resigned yesterday. I said, okay. Um, actually, I came to, because he, he had a security firm, um, big business, was doing very well. Um, I actually came to apply for a security job, but I'm very good at this, very good at administrative work. If you give me the opportunity, I just started pitching myself to him and he was just like, seriously? I was like, yes. So he he was like, I think he was desperate to get someone because he didn't have time. He had a lot of um, labor. You know, when you're a security person, a lot of labor, a lot of people always come to your office and all that. So he, had a, so he, had, he needed someone to support very fast. So you just said, okay, how soon can you start? We can start your paperwork later, but right now, how soon can you start? I said, yesterday. And he was like, you're so funny. So he, he told me to start the next day. I, I did my application, everything the next day. And all. that's how I started with him. Then I noticed because as a secretary, I could see some paper trays of large chunk of money moving here and there. So I just kind of had an idea that this business was doing well and it was making money, but I didn't, I didn't see life after this, but I've always loved the, the real estate. So I, I said, sorry, sorry to ask you, boss. Um, where do you see yourself after now? You know, you know. So he was like, What do you mean by this? I said, No, I'm not trying to insult you. I just want to know. I'm asking because of something. So he said, uh, he planned to do something. I said, Okay, have you have you thought of doing real estate in the US? You know, have you tried it? He said, No, that he did. Many years ago, but the person, um, he lost his money and he wasn't going to do it if he doesn't know it. So I was like, okay, you know what? I actually did this in in, uh, in Nigeria. I did this, but I don't know how they do it here. I have to go relearn how they do stuff here. And um, But Paraventure, I'm good at it and, and all that. Would you be willing to let's partner and do this he laughed at me and said he, i think in the process of just wanting me to leave he just said no problem just go learn that was not a yes but that was leave me 
you are too curious. You are, you are making me, you're pushing me to a corner that I'm not comfortable discussing and all that. So I said, okay, fine, then no problem. So at that point, I didn't have money to, to take up all these mentorship classes that people are doing right now. You know, it's a lot of money and I didn't have it. If maybe if I had it, I would have invested my uh, invested um, uh, with with the money, but I didn't have the money. But I was like, what other options do I have? So YouTube was my my university. I went to University of YouTube, you know. So I did most of my learning in YouTube, and that was how I learned my first about fist and flip. I started I, I started having some mentors on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I started following all their seasons, their sessions. So I was going through all the YouTube um things that they've dropped and that was very very educating for me but there's a difference between you doing a youtube and practicalizing it you know so i finished my youtube university i graduated with an a class (laughs) so i went back to to him and said we're ready and he wasn't he was like what i said yes we are ready and he wasn't comfortable because he didn't know if i was ready to to do that so he said after two months of I'm ready, he came back to me and said, yes, let's go do it. So my first deal was a vacation rental in, in Florida. And while I was under escrow, I got another opportunity. We put another one under escrow because my, my then boss, now business partner was, he had money. It was very liquid. You know, he's those kind of people that like to see money, but don't invest. They just like to keep it somewhere, but they don't like to invest, you know, so we're buying those things cash, you know, as, um, that's what we're doing at that point. Then before we knew it, we're very aggressive. We're very fast. Uh, we, we started buying, um, what do you call it? Uh, fix and flip. We started fixing houses, flipping it. And we're seeing the money. We're like, wow, okay, this is good business, you know? So we kept doing that for like almost a year. So we flipped about almost two dozen that period. And we also did a vacation rental. We had eight vacation renter in Florida, California, Texas. Um, we had those uh, vacation renters there. So things were doing well, but in, I just, I'm not comfortable remaining in one level when I know I can achieve more. So I said, I think we should go into Mater family. That same year when we started, we need to go into that. And he was like, really? I said, yes. So we got our first deal on that contract. <clears throat> we made some errors because that was the first one. I remember I learned from University of YouTube. So we did that. We did all the errors we needed to do. And we saw that there was a difference between the multifamily, the vacation renter, and the fix and flip. They were they were they're all real estates, but different. How would I put it? Everything was different. And so we were like, after one year of doing that, we came back to the drawing board and we said, which of them would take us to that level where we want to be? Um, so we decided to start cutting down on vacation rent uh, when we noticed that uh, um, um, we could get better opportunities with Motel Family. So at that point, we we're still buying properties with our money, um, not cash at this point, we're using bank loan, but we're putting down the down payment and all that. It gets to a particular point where you need to scale big and your money can just do it. If not, you'll be stuck in there and you can move to the next level. So we decided to start our syndication. That was all brought about syndication. So and at that point, I said, okay, I need the environment or the community of people that, that are doing this 
Um, because one of the issues I had was raising funds. I could do every other thing, but I couldn't raise funds. I wanted to be in the midst of like-minded people. At that point, I now said, okay, I think it's our time I invest in a mastermind. So I, I, that's how I registered into Michael Blank. How did I know about Michael Blank? was on YouTube. I, I went to YouTube. I typed, I typed uh, uh, multifamily for dummies. And the first person that popped up was Michael Blank. So I listened to him. I said, kind of like, I like his humility. I like the, the teachings and all that. So I called the office and the, I told them, actually, I'm experienced. I've done this before. I don't need the, um, the newbies kind of package. I needed just a brush up kind of package. And I also want to be in the environment and be among people that have the same goal as I do. And that was how I started with Michael Blank. And I did my, uh, I did, um, because I was already into multifamily, it was not difficult for me to get good deals on that contract. I think that was not my problem. I was getting deals than getting funds for, for, <laughs> for the deals. So I got two, I got three deals all at once, very fantastic deals and returns. Um, I dropped out of one because um, I, I do my underwriting from the beginning to the end of my deal. Um, because things change. I just want to see how my previous underwriting relates with the now and all that. So at that point, I couldn't move ahead with one of them. We stepped back on that. Um, but the other two, we closed on them and those deals are doing very well and all that. So um, this is my, my, my journey so far. It's been up, down, up, down. And this is where we are right now. Well, Bibi, that is absolutely incredible. You know, your your story is is truly inspiring with all the adversity that you experienced early on and everything that you went through with you and your family, but never giving up, always searching for a better life for you and your family and always learning, always, like you said, being curious is such a important aspect of being an entrepreneur, being a successful entrepreneur. And being able to get things done in a short amount of time, because as I'm sure you know, there's so much to learn, especially with just real estate. And you've done so many different jobs, roles and everything. And you always were looking for something better. And like, and I love what you said about, you know, it's tough to be in one spot when you know you can achieve more. And that's something that you know I really relate to. You know, if I know that I'm in a space where, I can do more. I can't, I can't ever feel comfortable. I can't ever feel good in that situation, but really excited for everything that you have in your pipeline and in your company, Blue Ocean has over a hundred million, just over a hundred million in assets under management. Is that correct? Yes, we are. We are not up to hundred million, but we are almost there. Uh, we have um, almost 1000 units under our bets. Um, uh, we have some coming under contract in a week. So we are yeah. getting there. <laughs> that's no joke. Yeah, that's incredible. And how long that's over. Uh, and I'm going off your website about uh, eight projects to get to those yeah. thousand units, hundred million under under management. Yes. How long uh, from you know the first investment to now were you acquiring these investments? How long did it take to get this portfolio? Um. Should I say it took us almost four years, three years plus um, to get those portfolio. Um, I think uh, we might have achieved more if we knew what we know now, because um, at the beginning, money was not the problem. The problem was the knowledge, you know, and the problem was knowing how to do, do things better. If we had known that you could actually not really put down your money 
use other people's money to get this done and still remain very liquid and become very attractive for other investors, even the lender would have gone very far, you know? So, well, we got to know that later on, but no, there's nothing wrong in starting from the point when you know something, when you, when you have new information, there's nothing wrong from starting from that point, you know? So the moment we found out that um, there are better ways of doing something or doing things, we took up the opportunity and we are not where we want to be, but I'm, I can tell you we're far from where we started. Gotcha. And, and you did a great job of highlighting a lot of your, your strengths, you know, like you mentioned, being very organized, very good at admin and uh, being able to go out and be a good problem solver. Yeah. Let's talk about any weaknesses that you may, you may know of that you have that you address because with the podcast being mastering commercial real estate, you have to be aware of both your strengths and your weaknesses. So what are a couple of your weaknesses and and how do you manage those weaknesses or how do you complement them? Yes, I've known my weakness. One of my major weaknesses from a long time when we're doing the the weakness um, metrics, I don't know if you know about it, where where you're able to tell your weakness and your strength. I did that many years ago. And in in that process, where we asked to identify our temperament and I discovered I was a sanguine, sanguine um, melancholy. That is someone that is very determined and someone that is very organized, you know? So that was my mixture. So I already knew those are very powerful and combination of someone's temperament, but it can also, this how good it is, it can also arm you as well, you know? So I knew about that a long time. So as a sanguine, I am someone that likes to get the job done but now the issue now becomes at any cost. So irrespective of if I make my, my partner um, disappointed or angry, the main the, the bottom line is get the job done. So after getting the job done, we can now face the personal issues we have, you know. Um, I don't think that's good. I, 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 I don't think that's good, but I also think that getting the job done, getting that focus to get the job to the finish line is a strength, but... Uh, one needs to manage it. So I'm constantly, since I'm aware of my weakness, I'm constantly managing it and trying to work with people and not trying to do these things alone. And that is the beautiful thing about syndication. You can work alone, you know, so you have to work with people. You can't just work alone. So um, syndication is helping me build more on my, I mean, grow out of my weaknesses and use them, convert them to my strengths. So that's, that is one of my weaknesses. And the second is, I don't think I know how to raise funds, you know, so um, I'm learning and it's a weakness when you're in this kind of business, when you can't raise funds, your funds, your business, your deal can be as beautiful as anything. If you don't have the funds to, 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 to fund it, if you don't have the money to fund it, then it now becomes a bigger challenge for you, you know, so that is part of those are part of what I've been able to mitigate that kind of weakness is I'm like I said I'm partnering with people that have those kind of strengths that can bring that on the table and we take it um, to the next level. So for now I think those are my weaknesses, the obvious ones, and all that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you've been the type to ask for forgiveness and and not permission before. <laughs> yes. yes, I'm like a soldier. When you say go, you go. Uh, you don't right. ask questions. You can ask questions, but go first, you know, so that's, that's how I am. 
Right. Just being very results oriented and sounds like just having a more uh, temperamental approach to working with, because you're right, it does take a village to accomplish syndication yeah. and to get these done because you have to work with many investors and many partners, operators, property management, all these, these people. And so that's a good segue into how do you work with the people that are uh, your property management? What does your team look like as far as your business and your real estate operations? Tell me a little bit more about what your team looks like. Yes. Okay. Um, my team, before we started, um, the first thing I knew how to do was to create my, my first team is my broker, uh, my, my property manager and my insurance broker. And the reason why I always start with that before creating my core team is because one, um, I'm, I'm a deal finder. I like to look for deals and for me to be sure that my deal is as good as good. I need those people on board. Um, I need them to give me my debt, um, like a soft coat on debt. I need um, my my um, insurance to to also give me a soft coat on insurance. I need my property management company to tell me that they can manage it and give me their own perspective in terms of income and expenses, irrespective of if I'm going to also do my market due, to, due diligence and all that. I still have them on it. So that's my first core team. That I mean, those, that's the first relationship I, I created. But some people try to do their core team first before they go and get those other people that I just mentioned. But mine was different. I started off with them. Before I, because um, the, the thing about it is that I had so many uh, experience, I had the experience in underwriting, experience in finding deals and managing the assets, you know. So maybe that was why I started out that way. But if I was a newbie, I didn't have anybody, I would have started with my core teams first. And I've gotten people that can do my KPs, people that can help me with raising funds, people that can help me with EMD and all that. I would have gotten those people first. But because I came in a little let me say, have baked and all that. So that made me start up with those ones. Then after that, then I now create my, according to the need or the property need, need um, like if I'm doing a value art, then I decide who my, I started up with case by case kind of team. That means I do, I create a team depending on my deal and all that. But I still, my, I still work with my business partner, my former boss, we are always on, 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 the, on the deal, you know, if I'm in any deal is on that deal, but any other person is per deal, you know, so um, I do it based on the need of the properties with the value add. I bring in um, people that, especially that have experience in CapEx um, to be on board, if it's uh, to stabilize the property. Sometimes a lot of people are no numbers, you know, because we're really looking at occupancy and we're checking the numbers, we're checking the trains, we're checking, we're checking um, so many things in that. So that is how I create my team. Um, and that's, it's been working for me and I, I like it. Yeah. And it proves in the pudding with over a hundred million dollars in, in assets. So when you are speaking to, let's talk about one of your deals. Let's talk about the the first deal that you did. Uh, that was a commercial real estate deal, large. Uh, maybe I'm assuming it was a syndication. No, it wasn't a syndication. It was okay. Well, yeah, my first oh, very good. Syndication. My first three deals were not syndication. It's the fourth, fifth, and sixth uh, syndications. Yeah. Gotcha. And but all of those were commercial real estate type commercial of real properties. Yes, everything commercial real estate. Yes. So tell us about the first commercial real estate deal that you did. Yes, the first commercial real estate was 
first of all, I'll tell you how we got it. We went there to take up a five unit um, property, but um, the lender could not deliver. We couldn't close the deal. Um, so in that way, we made a relationship with the broker. Um, and we asked the broker in case he sees any multifamily, should let us know. And that was in PA, went to PA to do that. Um, so he called us a month later that he had um, a 20 unit and that um, we should come and take a look at it. So we flew down to PA to go to check it. It was a property owned by Pops and Mars and the rent was extremely low. Um, the market was at 900 and the rent was at 300, 350. So that was the catch for us. It was a stable property, but it needed, it was a value add um, um, business plan that we had. We needed to renovate some of the units and um, raise rents. So we put that unit under contract. While we were closing on that, the next door neighbor, the owner of the next property noticed we were buying his neighbor's property and pushed us immediately, walked up to us and said, Oh guys, I heard you guys are the buyers of this property. Would you mind to buy mine? His was another 18 units. And I was like, okay, so um, let's see your numbers. He showed us within a week, we went on an escrow on that. So we kind of bought the block in that area. So, and it was like, tan, tan, tan. that was how we did it. Um, before we knew it, the broker brought another one again, a third one that was like 45 minutes from there. It was in Maryland, and he said, this is uh, another 16 units. Um, would you would you like to? We checked the numbers, too. That one, the rental was low, and it was 100% occupied. We did our underwriting. Everything came out well, and um, that's how we put that under contract. So we're pretty fast in that period and all that, but we now brought some little other smaller ones to, to add up to it, and we're like, no, we can't keep using our funds. And we went to our first um, syndication. My first syndication, um, in short, we closed two syndications together as my first syndication simultaneously, you know. So um, the first one was in PA, the second one in um, in Fort Worth, you know. So the one in, in PA is a student housing, but the business plan is for us to reposition it to an hybrid. And the reason why we did that was because we understood that the demography of the area was changing. And that took us, um, we did some study in that area. We met with the um, the county because we wanted to understand the future projections of that area. And they, they told us about it. And we knew that this is a student housing, but in, in a year or so, or two years, it, it's, we are going to have working class people in this area and all that. And that was the business plan. And as I, as I speak with you, that is what we did. Um, to that property. And the other one is a value add, 100% um, occupied, pretty stable property in, in Dallas, I mean, in, in Fort Worth, Texas, um, very stable property and all that. Um, the idea was for us to renovate the interior and um, also do the exterior, but guess um, so that we can push up rent to market. But as we started doing that, we noticed that um, we could increase the rent even without pushing the uh, without doing renovations in those units because those um, tenants had stayed in those property for many years and they were not comfortable leaving or moving out they just wanted to stay at any cost 
So we execute, we are executing that plan by just increasing rent and doing case by case. If we need to renovate a, a unit, we we'll do that. So it's a slight, um, very slight um, and value add. The, the, the biggest value add I've done is the first deal. That deal was, we, we that first deal was a wreck. It was a rundown house. We had drug people in the house. We had prostitutes. We had every manner of people in the house. So you could imagine the house was bad. It's a house that you hold your hands and close your nose. The walkthrough was a nightmare, but I didn't know how, what courage I had to. And that was just pretty, pretty funny, like, because my first bill, and I was picking up that kind of challenge. But that has also helped me, propelled me in other deals that when I see them, I already know what my business plan should look. I already know that this is not as bad as that first one and all that. So exactly yeah you got the worst one out of the way on the on the first exactly. one and you were lucky enough to be able to turn it around and, and make a success out of it so yeah that's hilarious that the first one you did was such a such a rough deal and looking at all the other deals that you've done it's like okay yeah not as not as bad as that first one and taking lessons from that first property and applying it to all the other ones and and that one was in in pennsylvania right that first deal those first the couple was in pennsylvania yes and um I've, I've i'm loving pennsylvania market um the reason why i love it is is um it's friendly for landlords you know and um it's very easy for you to get cash flow from that property so my my, my kind of idea is i look for areas that i can get cash flow and areas I can get appreciation and because that's what I that's my my plan um so I tell people depending on your need or what you intend to to profit or gain from from something that should determine how you you carry on your 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 your, your business plan uh, for example um I've seen people that have always been in fix and flip and they remain there you know why because they know what they want they've, they've already um, structured the goal and fix and flip fits into that goal and they're doing very well with it. The very beautiful thing about real estate is no matter the aspect you decide to go into, it mustn't be syndication, it mustn't be multifamily, it can be anything. It can be just vacation renter. My, my, my newest business partner, he has been vacation renter for years and he's worth a lot of money from just doing vacation renter and he's doing very well. You understand? So um, the thing about it is no matter the aspect you decide to do in real estate, do it and do it well, because every every aspect of real estate is an opportunity for you to have your financial, to be financially free. That's what I learned um, in my process, because everything was good, but uh, I still prefer multifamily because of the, the, the benefits it brings, a lot more benefit than the other ones. Right. And when I'm speaking with new investors and we're saying, well, we focus on multifamily and they may ask, well, why don't you look at retail or office or industrial or other asset classes? And we kind of look at some other deals here and there, but multifamily for us has just been such a solid and there's a couple benefits to it, right? Is is the solid solidness of cash flow, which you mentioned, appreciation, you have a better aspect um, and potential for appreciation on multifamily as an asset that's just such a hot commodity right now and has been for the last five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And also you have banks, banks can easily lend on it. They can easily look at the financials and they're, they're pretty attuned to that. Whereas some other assets can kind of be a hodgepodge and be a little bit harder to get an idea 
for the from the lender's perspective of of how much they can they can look at it and what their risk assessment is. And so, when you are looking at at properties and running your own risk assessments, what are some of the things that would shy you away from looking at a property? What are some red flags that you stay away from other than just the numbers? Yes, um, the red flag I, I, I stay from is some asset classes I don't um, deal with as some asset class like the D class. And yes, some people tell you that you can cash flow a lot from those D class um, properties. I do not do D class um, because one, um, um, it's a lot of work. Um, my first deal, I, I might say that it was a D-class, let me put it that way, and I know the kind of stress we went through, um, so that is number one, and some other reflex I, I look at again is the state, um, like I was underwriting a deal, the deal was so good, very good, good returns, good everything, but when we were doing our due diligence and checking the market, we, we found out that the area was declining, that means people were moving moving out of that area. So I those are red flags for me. Why are they moving? Do they have a single employer in that area? So apart from the numbers, I look at the the, the demography of that area. And I don't just look at, I look at the population growth, how well and how fast is it growing? And the employment, I look at that a lot. You know, If the employers are leaving, then <laughs> people go to where the money is. So if they are leaving, then what are we doing here? Everybody will definitely move one day and you don't need that for your property, you know, and all that. And then I look at uh, the, the policies in that state, you know, I have, we have properties in California and we have a tenant that has not paid us for three months, you know, and we can't just take her out just like that. We have to give her 60 days. So let's say five months, six months, won't get paid. But that cannot happen in PA, that cannot happen in Texas, you know? So I look at those other things, no matter how beautiful the, the deal is on paper or numbers are fantastic, those things will have to, to pan up well. Then um, another major thing is management. If I don't have the right property manager in that area to do my deal, because not all areas, I've seen areas that is very difficult for you to get what is a good property management company to do. So if I don't have that, strong relationship with a good property management company, I might not venture into that market. So in that way, what I do is I, I stick to two or three states that I, I know I'm, I've done I've, I've done the, um, the, the due diligence in terms of the market. The, I'm aware of the market, I know what happens in the market and I know the future projections of that market. Once I'm comfortable with that, then the number now comes in play. So I now start checking out the numbers, if the numbers works well. But that does not also mean, I also continuously look at the property if there are a lot of different maintenance, because for me, I do not like large value art properties or repositionings. No, I, I don't do that. So even if the numbers are good, when it's becoming to a very large extent, I walk away from because that's not my business plan. For somebody else, that might be the attraction for them. But for me, no, I just stop it at that point. So these are the red flags I I look out, I look out for. Yeah, and I would I agree personally with the not looking at a property that has such a large amount of value add, or like you said, repositioning. There's just so much because you have to pad for so much additional risk and and time in those deals. 
And the, they, those deals can look very attractive uh, because they have so much potential and there's such a big delta between where they're at and where they can be. But I think you're absolutely right. I agree with that, that, okay, well, what if something goes wrong? Because we already pad for contingencies and budget overruns and time overruns on, and we look at deals that are generally 60% to 25% that need to be renovated the, of the units that need to be renovated. That's, that's kind of gives us enough to where we can get an idea of where the property would be stabilized. They've already got some renovated units. We can base our mark to market off of, off of those. But when we start looking at deals where 0% of the units are renovated or just a very small portion and we have to go and we're looking at, you know, hundred unit, 50 to hundred unit deals, maybe even over hundred unit deals that puts a lot of stress on you as an operator, your asset management, your property managers, getting the labor to go out and, and pull those units and, and turn those units. That's yeah. something that's just, you have to run. Some people love that and they can do that, especially if they have a large renovation background, like if they were a fix and flipper that moved into multifamily, yeah. that would be perfect. And you should, you okay. could probably partner with somebody like that. But for us, <laughs> Yeah. where we have a more limited background in renovation and everything. We like to keep things a little more simple, a little more streamlined. And it sounds like, and you do the same thing. Yeah. Let me also say this. Part of my business plan is if it's a value add, I always plan to do 50% of whatever is on ground. So for venture, I come into a place they've not done is um, staying is um, classic um, form. I always plan for 50%. I'm really only agree 50% of it and leave the other 50% as uh and is as a meet for the next buyer to take over. You understand? So that's that is my business plan. I don't really like very heavy value add, just like I stated um earlier on. Right. And so on these syndication deals that you've accomplished, what was the raising capital process like for you? And what was your experience since you had mentioned earlier that that was not too much of a strong point on on your side so how did you get that accomplished with that being said yes um because like i said it's not my strong point i had to partner with people that that knew how to to raise um and at the same time i also tried to see if i could raise i was also, also learning on the job you know the first raise was really terrible i really don't want to think about it it was a nightmare you know I, I don't know if I, if any other person went through what I went through, but it was a nightmare. Um, it was terrible. I thought it wasn't going to happen. Um, so I, I had to partner with some people to raise and I took up some loans uh, with the hope to, to pay back as we go and all that. So that was how I did partnership and I looked for um, gap funders to bridge the gap. Uh, another way is through limited, I mean, uh, pref equity partners uh, and all that. So those are ways that we, we fund our deals and all that by raising from investors. Um, but since I don't have that strength, I partner with people to do it. Gotcha. And so when you were speaking to investors and, and from what I hear and, and to make you feel better, yes, that is large by and large the experience for people when they go out because they've never done this before. They don't know what it takes. And you could have a really great deal, but people will always find an excuse not to pull the trigger on something, even if it's the right move. Right. Wow. And there's, I've talked to so many operators and their, their story of their first raise was just 
brutal. I mean, they talked to 50, 100 people just to raise a couple hundred thousand. I'm not sure how big that raise was that you were trying to to get done on that syndication. That's 5.3 million. Uh, that was my first raise. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that was pretty big starting up that way. That was a lot of money, you know, so... Yeah, that is a huge raise to go on your first. So you're that's what I love about about your story and about you. So I just, you are not scared of anything. There's there's I not was scared. scared. No, don't say I wasn't scared. I was scared, as scared as scared, but I just had courage, you know. I and I had faith. Um I'm I'm a Christian, so I had faith and I knew that God was going to see me through in everything and all that. So it was very scary. I wouldn't lie to you. But I just had this belief in in my mind. I said, you will do it. You can do it. Keep going. Keep going. You know, I didn't tell you. I was raising two for two deals. I mean, I had two deals at the same time. So it was a total of 10.5 million. That was my first raise. Wow. So, <laughs> so that, that was. That is incredible. Congrat. Well, congratulate because you pulled it off, right? You pulled it off at the yes, end of the day. Put it off, which was, it was. <laughs> That is insane. I mean, and that that kind of puts us into the the mindset portion of of some of the questions. I mean, you you have so much courage, and it's based on the rock of your faith. What is you know your why? You know, a lot of people ask like, what's your why? Why are you doing this? What's the reason for working this hard and putting yourself in this position instead of just maybe going out and getting a, a normal job and living? I you know, let's just call it a normal life. My my number one why, and it's a very odd for some people because I don't hear people saying it's it's for myself um to have that fulfillment you know <clears throat> that's my first why my second why is for my those two kids behind me that you can see in that picture is also for them I I did not have the um the ability to to stay with my parents like I told you from the beginning I didn't grow up with them you know, because they were doing the lost work. They were not available, they were busy with work, you know. So this kind of helps me have that communion. I have time for, for my kids. So it's very personal for me that I need to do something that we create that time um, for, for me to have with family, for my kids and for myself, you know. So that is one of my biggest why. Um, myself and for my kids. That's perfect. It's beautiful. And as we wrap up here, and it's been a pleasure and an honor having you on and, and hearing about your story. I mean, this is an incredible story from you. And I'm I'm so happy that we were able to to get this on the on the show and and me personally to to hear it from you and and get a relationship going with you. So where can people find more information about you? How can people stay up to date with your offerings, what you're doing. Uh, you've got a couple books that you've written. Yeah. Um, really, you can find me on my um, Instagram page. And not just that, I'm doing um, a, an asset management session. I've been doing some series on asset management. Um, they can find me on YouTube, um, MFC on YouTube um, any anytime. Um, we have some um, episodes there already and um, Instagram and from our website, www.blueoceancashflow.com. Um, they can look us up from there as well. Perfect. And what are the title titles of your books? 
Um, one of one of them is called the powerful female immigrants. You know, as immigrants, we go through a lot. I co-wrote it with, um, co-authored it with some some beautiful ladies that are also immigrants and all that. And the other one is called Rewire, which is women in real estate. Um, so it was highlighting our goals, what we've achieved as women in this largely dominated male business. You know, we have. The, the percentage of women that are in real estate is no way supposed to be, you know. So um, so for some of us, we took it as a responsibility to alight that women can actually create a career or create a life from this and, and all that. And we also used it to raise some money for um, some people in Mexico, like an NGO. Um, so that was one of the reasons why we did the book. That's perfect. Well, BB, again, thank you so much for making the time and coming onto our show today. I really appreciate it. I know the the listeners and the viewers are going to get a ton of value out of your story and everything that you went through and, and told us today. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Corey, for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, guys, this has been the latest episode of the Mastering Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Again, this was BB Ophiri of Blue Ocean Equity. Please go check out her website, her offerings, her books, tons of value, a lot of great information. We'll see you next time. Thank you.